Uh, This morning, please turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus 18 as we continue our series called Elementary. We're not elementary, we're not Leviticus on the lawn today, we're Leviticus in the gym. And uh, today we're going to look at what the law teaches us about holiness. What the law teaches us about holiness. Now, if I went around and asked 10 different people what word came to mind when they thought of Leviticus, some would probably say complicated, some would say irrelevant, lots of people would say snooze, but some of you would say holiness. Some of you would say Leviticus is about holiness. And you would be the correct ones, because that's what Leviticus is all about. It's about how a holy God can dwell with an unholy people. Imagine the scene with me. Here you have this massive number of rescued slaves who are now wandering the desert, following this large compound. Remember what Levi said? The tabernacle complex would have been like the size of the soccer field outside. They're following this compound around, and God has promised to dwell with them as they wander the desert and as they make their way to the promised land. This is the God who wondrously delivered you from Egypt. This is the God who brought down bread from heaven each morning. He's the God who brought water from the rock, and he's the God who rained down meat so that you could have your fill each and every day. And this is the God who's promised to bring you to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. But this is also the God who poured out his wrath on you when you grumbled about your food and your drink. This is also the God who forbid Moses from entering the promised land because he struck the rock in anger. If you were an Israelite hearing Moses read this law, you would know two things very well. Your God is far more powerful than you can imagine, and he's far more holy than you can imagine. I I can bet that there were Israelites listening on and saying, how are we going to keep in step with this God? Moses couldn't do it. God had demonstrated to the world and to his people that he was a God who was not to be trifled with. He's a holy God and will have a holy people. So hear me, God graciously, he graciously gave his people this law. It was a rule book. It was a playbook for them so that they could memorize it. They could eat, sleep, drink it up, and then they would be able to dwell with God. And this law had ramifications for every area of their lives. In their worship, their marriages, their relationships, businesses, and in their administration of justice, God would demand that his people be distinct from the world and set apart for him. R.K. Harrison put it this way, Holiness is not restricted to religious matters. All of life is a stage on which holiness is lived out. All of life is a stage on which holiness is to be lived out. You know, that reminds me of the Apostle Paul's words. He said this, So, whether you eat or whether you drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That is what God was after for his people as they wandered the desert. And friends, God hasn't changed, and neither have his demands. So it's critical today that we, that we listen in, we dig deep here, because this has relevance for us today, and especially in this cultural moment where we are in, 
Well, more and more, we're seeing that we're not aligned with the culture. And I don't want to sound like I'm fear-mongering. I don't want to pit us against the culture. But the reality is more and more and more, that distance between us and them is going to increase. We're seeing it more and more. So we need to make a distinction between us and the culture. But more than a distinction, we need to show the world that what doing God's good commands leads to, doing God's good commands, and that is life, that is blessing. We need to show the world that following God's ways is best. God demands holiness because he's good. It's for our good and it's for the world's good. So with these things in mind, hear now from the holy, inspired, and awesome word of God. Leviticus 18, verses 1 to 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived. And you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as as I already said, Israel was a freshly rescued people wandering the desert. But some of these laws that God gave them wouldn't apply to them at this moment. He was foreshadowing the days when Israel would come to the promised land, when they would see the tabernacle in a stationary place, when, when an Israelite would have his own farm. And sadly, when they would be surrounded by pagan nations. Pagan nations who would entice them to worship Yahweh the way that the nations worship their idols. You see, God was putting up good restrictions and boundaries for his people because he loved them. This theme of holiness was to encompass every aspect of an Israelite's life. Holiness, and this is, this is helpful, this is a good definition for us as we get started here. But Paul David Tripp, he defines holiness this way. He says, holiness means that you have been set apart by God's grace for God's purpose. Your allegiance is no longer to the kingdom of your success and happiness, but to the progress of his kingdom of glory and grace. And where do you do this? You do this wherever you are, whomever you're with, and in whatever you're doing. That's helpful. That's what God demanded of his people when they were wandering the desert. That's what God was going to demand of them as they entered the promised land. And that's what God demands of you and I today. So let's ask the question now, what does the law teach us about holiness? The first thing we see is the law teaches us that holiness is rooted in redemption. Holiness is rooted in redemption. Or you could say holiness is a response to our redemption. If we reverse these words, you know, it's funny how words, you can take one word out of a sentence and it changes everything. If we, if we put the word redemption where holiness is and we say our redemption is rooted in our holiness, we distort the gospel. It's not the gospel anymore. If the Israelites forgot this, they would be doomed. But you notice that all of these commands that God gave his people were rooted in this single phrase, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. What that meant to an Israelite is that, as as Gordon Wenham says, 
It was a reminder of what God had done for Israel and how he had chosen to make them his people. See, if you're an Israelite and you hear these commands, you you couldn't forget that God was your redeemer. And he didn't redeem you when you were in the promised land. He redeemed you when you were in slavery. He redeemed you when you were in Egypt, when you could do nothing to save yourself. God graciously rescued a group of slaves out of Egypt and then demanded that they follow his ways. Israel's holiness was always rooted first in what God had done for them. And that's a lesson that you and I cannot forget. We can't learn this lesson well enough. Isn't that true? How many of you have grown up in homes or churches, and let me preface it, good homes and good churches where you, even though you heard the gospel clearly, you couldn't shake the idea that that God would only love you if you lived up to his standards. Yeah. I'm sure, don't put your hands up, but I'm sure many of you are saying yeah. And again, that's in good churches, in good homes. We believe that lie. But God was teaching the elementary lesson to his people. He said, your holiness is always rooted in first in what I did for you. I redeemed you. And now I demand that you look like me. This is a lesson that we need to remember time and time again. We were not saved because we were good. We're filthy rags before him. And friends, even on our best day, even on the day when we get up early, spend time in God's word and in prayer, when we're good and gracious to our spouse, spouse, help them with the kids, pack lunches, go to work, work hard, even on our best day, we wouldn't live up to the righteousness of God. God loved us, and he has made us good. We, we can never, nor should we ever tire of this message. We've got to get this deep inside of us, because if we forget this, we're going to jump into a works-based salvation. We're going to jump right back into that. We're going to try and earn our way up to God, and we're going to fail miserably. And worse than that, we're going to lead others to destruction. Because if we believe that, if we believe that, we, we can say, oh, I, I understand the gospel clearly. But truth be told, if we even subtly believe the lie that God's only going to love us, or only loves us because we keep his commands, then we're going to preach that false gospel. And we're going to lead others to destruction. Because that's no gospel at all. Your pursuit of holiness, just like Israel's, must be rooted in what God did for you. Friends, for us that means if we can't look at the life of Christ and see that he lived the righteous life that we should have, that he died to death that we should have died, and was accepted by God on our behalf, then we've missed the gospel. But if we've got this, If we've got this, then we are going to pursue holiness with every fiber of our being. Every fiber of our being, because we're going to look at Christ and see what he did for us and say, I want to give it all to him. He gave everything for me. And this leads to the second thing that the law teaches us about holiness. First, holiness is rooted in redemption. And secondly, holiness is non-negotiable. To see this, look with me at Leviticus 19, verses 1 to 2. Leviticus 19, 1-2. says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. You see, God didn't give any options to his people. The command was loud and clear. Holiness is rooted in redemption in Christ, and it must lead to our increased holiness. That's the gospel way. That's the gospel way. God saves you from sin and death to life and righteousness. You see, God didn't just pluck up Israel out of Egypt and say, now keep living the way you were living. Keep living the way the the Egyptians lived. No. He said, you're going to be distinct. You're going to be holy. You're going to look like me. And then he says something interesting here. In verses 2, he says, speak to all the congregation of the people. Did you notice that? All the congregation. Lots of Leviticus is addressed to the priests because they're going to be the ones performing these ceremonies. They're going to be the ones who are going to be cleansing lepers or performing the ceremonies after lepers are cleansed. But here God says, everybody, listen to me. You are going to be holy like me. The average Joe or Sue in ancient Israel was called to live their lives set apart for God. You know, they couldn't simply rely on the priests to perform the sacrifices. No, God said, every one of you, I'm asking you, I'm demanding of you to pursue my commandments with every fiber of your being. From the high priest all the way down to the lowly farmer. Everybody was to pursue this. Everybody was to offer worship the way God prescribed. Everybody was to offer to do marriage and sex the way God prescribed. Everybody was to keep the feasts, to do love and justice and mercy, to do good to their neighbors, to do to the poor and the immigrant, to do good as well. These were non-negotiable. Because in Exodus 6, verses 7, it says this. This is God speaking to Israel. He says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. See, Israel was rescued for the purpose of being God's people. You know, as I, as I was preparing, I was thinking, what's a helpful illustration? And remember in my intro, I mentioned how Leviticus was like a playbook. So if some of you are football fans, I'm not, but I know enough to get by. And I know that at the beginning of the season, or prior to the beginning of the season, you'd be given a playbook, and you'd have to memorize all the plays. That is what God was doing here. He's saying, every individual, from the priest to the farmer, you're going to memorize my ways. You're going to do everything that I've commanded. Because let's be honest, if you had a football team and you had the best player in the league, but he didn't know the plays, what good would he be? He'd be running this way when he was supposed to run that way. And God was saying, no, you need to run on the track that I've given you. And when we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus. And did did Jesus shatter this way of thinking? Did he take this and, and say, no, that's wrong? No, absolutely not. In his Sermon on the Mount, after seemingly raising the bar in what was required of God's people, he said these staggering words. Let these sink in. You, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's Jesus. That's Jesus who said that. And remember, Jesus wasn't just talking to Pharisees. He was talking to fishermen. He was talking to simple folk, common folk like us. He said, every one of you has to live up to this standard, pursue this standard. Jesus didn't offer more leniency. He 
Because after Jesus died and rose again, what did he do? He gave us his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to train you up in righteousness. It's to transform you from the inside out. That's why Paul says these words to the church at Ephesus. He says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Holiness is required of us people. It's a non-negotiable. Now, hear me. Are we ever going to be perfect in this life before Christ returns? No, we're not. But the point God is making is that you are to pursue it. God saved you for this. He saved you for this. It's non-negotiable. And this leads to the third thing that the law teaches us about holiness. And this is tied closely with the previous point. It's that holiness is for your good. Holiness is for your good, Christian. Boy, if, if, if we could get this, it would transform our thinking. Because the whole world, including lots of us, have been believing the same old lie since the dawn of creation. And that lie is that God is withholding from us. It's the lie that his ways are not best. It's the lie that if we just jumped over the fences that God's put up, we sneak past the boundaries that we would be free to live in bliss. Isn't that what the world says? Isn't that what your heart tells you often? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And more and more we're seeing in our culture that this is the case. Autonomy is the end goal, the be and end all. In the past, restraint used to be equated with wisdom. Denying or deferring pleasures to a later time used to be seen as honorable. Now, those things are considered oppressive. We've bought the lie that God doesn't want our best. And it's killed us. It's killed us. But God was teaching baby Israel here through the law that holiness was for their good. Look with me to Leviticus 18, verses 24 to 25. God said this, Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, For by all these, the nations I'm driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. Vomited out its inhabitants. God was telling Israel, do you see what the nations were doing? Did it lead to life? No, it led to their death. See, holiness is about putting up both you shalls, and you shall not. And in this chapter, God puts up the you shall not. He talks about the Cainites' sexual practices, including adultery, incest, homosexuality, prostitution, bestiality. He talks about their gross child sacrifice, where they would offer their children, burn their children to idols. And God says, all of these lead to death. All of these lead to death. God is a loving father, forbid what he knew would hurt his people. You know, we often use the illustration of the the parent talking to the child and saying, don't go near the hot stove, don't put your hand there. And when the child's young, children are great, but sometimes they're young and dumb, and they don't understand that if they touch that, it's going to lead to pain. They think you're being oppressive. 
But no, just like God, good parents say, whoa, 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 you go there, you're going to get hurt. So don't go there. And then on the flip side, God commands good things in the place of the bad things. Leviticus 18.5, God puts it this way. He says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. See, these verses mean that if you and I stay on the racetrack that God has given us, if we stay on that path, we are going to be blessed. We are going to thrive. Just like Israel, you and I are facing a culture that is going to mock us for our lifestyle, mock us for our beliefs. They're going to say, you are, you are oppressive. You are in the Stone Age. Israel was thinking the same. Israel was feeling the same thing. I mean, you have to think. The Canaanites had idols. They literally had idols set up. What did, what did Israel have? They had a compound. They had a tabernacle. And guess how many people were allowed to go into the most holy of holies? You guys can answer. We talked about that last week. One person, the high priest. And how many times in the year? Once. And he had to go in and throw incense. He couldn't even see the Ark of the Covenant. He couldn't behold the glory of God. Couldn't you picture the Canaanites mocking Israel for that? Saying, at least we can see our gods. God's people have always been mocked, and we're going to continually continue to be mocked for following God's ways. But we need to stand strong. We can't bend and break, because Israel did. They bent and broke a lot, and eventually they ended up in exile, because they abandoned God's practices. They adopted the pagan practices of the nations around them, and it led to their banishment, to their exile. And just like their story started way back in Egypt, Here's Israel now, sitting as slaves in Babylon. They're being mocked. You remember Psalm 137? Babylonians are saying, sing us a song of Israel. They're mocking them. And it was in those moments that Israel realized how far they had fallen. They realized that they had bought the lie that God's ways are not best. But friends, God's ways are best. They lead to life. God's design for worship, for family, for sex, for parenting, for work. All of it is for our good. You know, it's good for us married couples to pursue purity in our relationships, to delight in one another and in one another alone, to put away any cheap substitutes like pornography or anything else you can think of. It's good for you single or unmarried Christians to defer sex till marriage and to not even open the door. To not even open the door to sin. To fight those temptations with all your might. It's for your good. And parents, it's good for you to be gracious and gentle with your children. To not give in to anger. It's good for us as a people that we refrain from gossip and grumbling and talk about truth and good things. And then I want to lean in here for some of you young people. Some of you young people are in middle school. Some of you are in high school. Some of you are going into university. Let's just be honest. It's, it's hard. You know, I'm only 30. So it was only 13 years ago that I was in high school. I remember the temptations. I remember how awfully, awfully hard it was. And full disclosure, I fell. I, I did not believe that God's ways were best. Just like many of you sitting here, you had the same experience. Good Christian home, good faithful parents. But I stepped over the line. 
God put the track out here and I stepped over thinking that his ways weren't best. And many of you can say the same thing, that those times that you, that, that you veered off the road, what happened? It led to suffering. And first off, it led to God not being glorified in you, which is key. Ultimately, we're to live for God's glory. But we saw in those moments, not only did, did we blaspheme God's name because we fell into sin, but we suffered for it. So I promise you, young people today, be strong. Devote yourself to God's word. Meditate on it day and night. Spend time in prayer. Devote yourself to good Christian friends. Be in the world, but don't be of the world. I promise you it's for your good. Holiness is hard work, but it leads to life. And the sooner that we get that, Christians, the sooner we get that, the sooner we're going to delight in God's ways as we ought to. And fourthly, the law teaches us that holiness is kind. Holiness is kind. Look with me to Leviticus 19, verses 9 to 16. Leviticus 19, 9 to 16. I'll give you a few seconds to get there. God says this to his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely. And so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You see, your holiness is not only for your own good, it's not only for the glory of, your, of glory of God, but it's also for your neighbor's good. Because when we read those verses, what do we see? We see that holiness is actually kindness in action. It's kind to be holy. If there were more holy, kind people, the world would be a better place, amen? For us today, living where we live, we live in a very individual individual. Individ how do you, I'm, I'm sleepy, I'm sleepy. You know the word, <laughs> Thank you, thank you. So, so we don't truly appreciate what these verses mean. But Israel was a people who lived in small, tight-knit family groups. They lived in a collectivist culture. See, I can say that word, that one's a little easier. And that meant it wasn't about the me. It wasn't about my autonomy, it was about the we. It was about the we. So Israel learned the lesson that their own kindness was going to have a profound, or their own holiness was going to have a profound effect on their neighbors. Let me reread what that quote I read earlier. Holiness is not restricted to religious matters. All of life is a stage on which holiness is to be lived out. Right? All of life. So the ancient Israelite, he was to see that being generous to the poor, speaking the truth, paying his workers on time, helping the disabled, not gossiping, these things actually built up the community. 
They were actually, it was actually a way of being kind to their brothers and sisters. Isn't that good? And we learned in, the, in our second week when we talked about what does the law teach us about sin, we learned the serious lesson that sin has a way of spreading. Right? It never stands still. You can't leave it in a corner. It always expands, takes more territory. But these verses highlight the fact that righteousness also spreads. Your righteousness is going to spread. And when it spreads, it's to the benefit of your neighbors, of your church family. Can I just say here, this is what the world needs to hear. They need to see this in in and of us all the time. Because the world, let's just be honest, the world looks at what we believe and they mock us. Right? They say we're oppressive, and there's so many things they disagree with us. But I mean, when you look at those verses, how can you deny that God was saying, you are to be kind to one another. You're to be a culture where lots of people would want to jump in. God doesn't, just trans- God doesn't just remove sin from us in salvation. No, he transforms us to be holy and good and kind people. I'm telling you, if our unsaved family members, if our co-workers, if our unsaved spouses, if they saw this more and more, I truly believe that it would change everything. If we were slow to speak and quick to listen, if we avoided gossip, if we were quick to overlook small offenses, if we didn't speak poorly of our neighbors, of our co-workers, of our family, people would take notice. And even if they never came to Christ, I guarantee you it would be for their benefit that they saw us living lives like that. Because Jesus told us to be salt and light. And being holy, being holy as individuals and as a community, is being salt and light in a world that needs lots of it. Amen? Holiness is kindness in action. That leads us lastly to our, our fifth point. The law teaches us that holiness is a community project. Holiness is a community project. You can't beat lust alone. You can't heal your marriage alone. We need one another. Leviticus 20, verses 1 to 2, boldly captures this. God says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, Any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I mentioned already that God hated, hated child sacrifice. It was the epitome, the epitome of destruction, of sin. And God's heavy prescription to deal with it was death for the perpetrator. And it wasn't, only, it wasn't any death. It was death by stoning at the hands of the community. The community was to pick up a stone and kill the perpetrator. You know, we're prone to grimace at that. You know, that's hard to hear in 2021. But it illustrates the important point that the people of God are to take their holy calling seriously. As a community, we are to take our holy calling seriously. That means that you and I are to be involved with one another. It means we're to be involved with one another. We're to care about each other's holiness. There's no lone wolves in the church. 
You know, I went through a, a silly season of life. I think it was 18 or 19. I would say self-righteous things like, you know, it's not about what you do on Sunday mornings, it's about what you do in the week. And I think, I think part of that was brought on because, you know, as a young man, you're on fire for God. You know, you're in the Word. You're chewing up, eating up everything. And when you see things that appear to be hypocrisy, I don't, know the, I don't know the hearts of the people I was watching. I don't know. But I would look at them and I would just assume their motives. And so part of me almost relished in this idea of being a lone wolf. But we are not to be that. Shame on me. Shame on me. And hasn't this pandemic taught us that? That we so need one another. We so need one another. We just, we diminish so quickly when we are left on our own, don't we? You are to be there in, your, in the corner with your brothers and sisters as they're pursuing holiness, as you pursue holiness. You're to be spurring them on. And on the flip side, when you know that your brother or sister is in sin, you are to be there grabbing them, pulling them in the right direction. Why? Because you are your brother's and your sister's keeper. You are your brother's and your sister's keeper. Again, in the time that we're living in, autonomy is the most important thing, but not so in the church. We are a community of believers. You're not going to follow God faithfully alone. We need one another. The church won't flourish in our witness if we don't take this calling together seriously. And Jesus taught the same principle. If you flip to Matthew 18, and forgive me, I'm having you flip all over the place. But in Matthew 18, verse 15 to 17, Jesus told his disciples this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. See, just as every Israelite was to pick up a stone and throw it, so everybody in the church casts their vote when dealing with sin in the community. Holiness is a community project. You're not going to be holy on your own. And the church needs you, you and I, to care for one another. We need to be there in each other's corners lots. And that is why membership matters. That's why membership matters. Because in membership, you commit to the church. And you welcome them in and you say, you know what? I'm in. I am in for the long haul. You ask me the tough questions. You give me the tough love. And no matter what, I'm not going to run. I am here. I'm part of the family. Because that's what, that's what the Christian walk is, is about, isn't it? There's, most of the time, hopefully, there's lots of encouragement. There's lots of encouragement. And in church membership, it's going to be a lot of patting on the back. It's going to be a lot of good times together. But there's going to be times where a brother or sister isn't caught, caught in sin. And membership is there to deal with that. Membership matters because holiness matters. Holiness is a community project, brothers and sisters. But as we come to a close this morning, I want us to take this challenge seriously. To pursue radical holiness in every aspect of our lives. That's what God demanded of his people. 
He taught them so well. He said, when you wake up on Monday morning and you go out into the field, you're to be holy. You're to be thinking about how I want you to live. And when you go to the tabernacle for worship, I want you to be thinking about holiness there too. It's supposed to encompass every part of our lives. And our thoughts, our homes, our relationships, our workplaces. So friends, let's seek serious accountability with one another. Let's ask tough questions. Let's put on love, throw away anger. Let's pursue this calling with every, every bit of our might. And as we do this, we've always got one eye where? One eye on the cross of Christ. Because that's where this all flows from. Again, I said earlier, if you try and pursue holiness in your own strength, if you believe the lie that you can somehow measure up to God's standards on your own, you're going to fail miserably. We were never meant to do that. Not since the fall of Adam and Eve. Your holiness is always rooted in your redemption. So keep one eye fixed on Christ. And let's take this, our holy calling seriously. Because God's word to Israel are addressed to us as well. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who wondrously rescued us from sin and from death, and you've saved us to life and to righteousness. And, oh God, we ask now by your Spirit that you would impress the mighty, glorious truth that holiness is for our good. Holiness is for the good of the community, for the good of the lost, and it's for your glory. Help us, empower us alone today, Lord, to pursue this with all our might. For your name's sake, for our good. In Jesus' mighty saving name we pray. Amen. Worship team. Our, <clears throat> our holiness matters. And